Good evening, good evening, good evening. Let's get right into another KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. Fellas, how are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. I'm doing well, doing well. Real busy trying to get it all done. Students of uh, the sports management program are putting together a black history panel presentation where tomorrow from 115 to 315, anybody local that uh, would like to come by Texas Southern University and check it out. It's in the College of Education in the uh, auditorium in there. And uh, students have invited about 15 different uh, collegians at one time they participated in the 50s, 60s, or 70s uh, at, in conferences that were made up of HBCUs. So we pretty much have all the conferences covered, CIAA, the SIAC, um, MEAC to a degree with some that were transitioning into it, and obviously the SWAC, which is the largest amount of people, mainly from Prairie View and Texas Southern, as well as a conference that no longer exists, the mid Western Athletic Association that turned into Midwestern Athletic Conference, uh, late um, 50s there. Yep. Um, Texas Southern was a member of that Central State. So we have some interesting uh, luminaries that we'll bring in, the students. After I told them some of the historical footnotes, they thought it was important to hear directly from them. I said, we see if we can put it together. And they pushed through, and I'm proud of them. So we have to close it out tomorrow. And Make it reality, the understanding that we'll have it on tape as well as recording it. So I'll put it out there for those on SoundCloud that are interested in looking at it. So, labor of love. Students stepped up and got it done. Since you already touched on it right there, who are you? SoundCloud, you mentioned that. Who are you? Yes, I'm Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, professor, sports management here. Also do, as you see, podcasting that relates to uh, sports national, to some degree international, specifically uh, regional and locally, with a great emphasis on historically black college and university uh, programs in conjunction with that. Just launched a radio show at the beginning of the year, and so it's full steam ahead. Picked up a lot of steam with that and trying to push forward, get it done, and just staying busy. What do you want to talk about? Let's see, let's start with uh, a week ago tonight when answers were given. No question, and we're going to make it because we can do that, go through can that you, right. We can, can roll through that. Sign, can you hear me sighing the microphone, listeners? That was Wildcat no answer. Wildcat is talking about the number one versus number two matchup between South Carolina and Connecticut, number two being Connecticut. They were number two in rank only as they laid a smackdown, opened up a can. On South Carolina and one in Hartford. Do you <coughs> yes. not see them as the number two team? Who? UConn? No. UConn no, no, at the time they were. One. UConn at the time was number two in the ranking. Oh, I see what yeah. you're saying. At that time they were number two, and they're not the clear cut number one. Um, they just rolled over at South Carolina. They showed Don Staley's <laughs> young ladies what it's going to take to uh, not get come to UConn level of excellence. And we'll see if um, Asia Wilson and Tiffany Mitchell and the rest of the Gamecocks can bounce back and uh, step up their level of play and uh, reach the Final Four. And should they meet meet again in Tampa, hopefully it'll be a much more competitive ball game than the beatdown that we saw on TV. 
which we expected because just a couple of days prior, Gina Oriema challenged his All-America, Breonna Stewart, and uh, Morgan Tuck. He sat them down, sat Breonna Stewart down, I think five minutes into the game on Saturday, the previously before South Carolina, because in the words of Coach Oriema, Breonna Stewart wasn't playing hard. This is an All-American. Gina Oriema has no problem sitting down players who don't play hard, whoever they are. While they beat the team about 20, 30. So, but so they, he really has them playing against themselves. Well, especially when you're playing in, in you playing in the American, when you have you don't have any competition, you know, right? Well, at all in, based in on conference. what we just saw this past week, as you said, arguably the number two team, and that's why I was going to get to you with them dropping down. Who is number two? Right. I mean, so we can. It, it don't matter. Right. <laughs> Which is ultimately, yeah. what I'm getting to, it really doesn't. So, not only is there. Not an and excuse my American, poor my poor English. It's not a challenge. It don't matter. Five. Not it doesn't matter. It don't matter. <laughs> and as I refer South to Carolina, them, Baylor, Maryland, Notre I, Dame, put put together an all star team and maybe the will have a competitive game against it against Connecticut. And I don't want to dwell on this because overall, women's college basketball, you can see the talent being spread out. You can see parity going across the country except when it comes to Connecticut. I mean, you see, you're see, you seeing the Pac-12 is having a much, a very balanced season. You've got Oregon State, Arizona State at the top of the Pac-12. Stanford is, I think, in fourth behind Oregon State, Arizona State, and Cal. So, parities hit the Pac-12. You see the Big 12 with Baylor starting to distance themselves from everybody else. But at one point, you had Texas before injuries. Oklahoma SEC is probably top to bottom the deepest conference. ACC was Notre Dame and Duke who are about to play on ESPN two. Well, okay, you know Duke is not uh, really good against top tier teams. So we'll see how they do against Notre Dame. But you That's can see talent is spreading out across the country. But when it comes to knocking UConn off that mountaintop, and yes, Stanford did it earlier in the season, early in the season. But as the train locomotive is Got rolling on that track. I do not see anyone challenging them when it comes to Tampa. Now, obviously, injuries play up, will always play a part in sports. But barring injuries to Brianna Stewart, to Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis, to Mariah Jefferson, I don't see anyone derailing UConn and keeping them from winning a 10th national championship. And unfortunately, I don't see the games being close. And that's my biggest complaint about it is the – lack of competitiveness when it comes to UConn. We expect them to roll through the American Athletic Conference. I mean, that conference just is not ready for Connecticut. You know, South Florida w- was ranked. They lost East Carolina on Sunday. Um, Tulane is a decent team. Is getting some votes in the top 25, et cetera. You can't match them by 40. You know, whatever. You can't just roll through this conference because the American Athletic Conference overall is not ready for UConn. They have a long way to go to get the talent to compete with UConn. But on a national level, I think before the game, UConn and South Carolina were talking about in one versus two matchups, UConn is 17-3. and three. Let's, I mean, listen, listen to that. 17-3 and three in one versus two matchups. So even the people who dislike Geno and criticize UConn for, well, look at the conference they're playing. They, they played in the Big East when it was weak. They play in the 
American as it's weak now. All that's true. But when it comes to head-to-head against the top dog, UConn, more times than not, comes out on top. So they're doing something right that the rest of the country hasn't caught up with. And we'll be in Tampa. The three of us will be in Tampa. I hope to see competitive basketball. I just am fearful that I won't see it. Wildcat? I will agree. There's UConn and that system and their, tr- uh, their basketball program, their dynasty, and no one else is challenging. And it's not that coaches aren't trying, but coaches can only coach. Players play. And at some point, you got to reach a breaking point across that, uh, jump over that, that fence and into the den. And you got to challenge. And nobody has figured out mentally. I'm not going to say physically because we can all at some point get a, have a short burst of five to six to seven minutes in a game physically and just overwhelmed. But at, when it gets to like a four-minute or three-minute situation, there's a drought that happens that mentally just overwhelms opponents when it comes to playing against UConn's women. Notre Dame in the last three seasons, when they were both in the Big East, was was 1A. You know, they were beating UConn, had beat them two, three times in a row, but unfortunately, Nadia Chano got hurt and ruined the Final Four championship matchup that everybody was hoping for with two healthy teams, you know, UConn versus Notre Dame. That's what everybody was hoping for. That's what everybody was expecting. It was two unbeaten teams, you know, but injuries derailed that and ruined that. But other than that, other than Notre Dame actually going toe-to-toe with UConn, that's it. There isn't anybody else, you know, Stanford ended the streak, beat them this season. But when it comes to Final Four, Stanford is not UConn. No, no, no there. I no longer have an expectation that uh, this run for a championship will be derailed. Um, and for that matter, that there'll be any serious competition. But I think there'll still be a good trip. You know, you'll get some other competitive games, which will be good. But I just. We hope. I think with other matchups. No, no, I know what you're saying. But I'm, I'm saying we hope as well because it comes down to matchups there. That's true, definitely. But I think somehow, you, traditionally, you're going to get at least one of them there. You know, a close one. Baylor's, Baylor's playing great ball, and we can somebody's going to match up somewhere where you think uh, you'll get a get a good competitive game there. But when it comes to UConn, I, even the brand name institutions that get it done in women's basketball in the past uh, cannot seem to find a way to rise consistently in a position where they're going to uh, give UConn a challenge. So it's fascinating in a lot of ways, and I hadn't had the privilege, privilege I should say, like you all in terms of really analyzing and see UConn kind of build over a period of time to where they are. So a lot of my fascination is just going to really watch and try to figure out and appreciate the dominance. Yeah, you got to see take practice. Yeah. And UConn practice is unlike any other practice. And that's what I'm looking for. And the closest anybody has come was during Candace Parker's uh, time at Tennessee over recent time, where that was a challenge every day 
and the players accepted the challenge. And I'm not saying that nobody's not accepting a, a challenge, but when, and I'm, I'm going to keep harking on this because this is what happens in a game and everybody sees it. There's a two to three minute situation, either going in at halftime or midway in the, after that first media timeout, that there's a challenge being issued. And you can't accept that challenge that says, okay, you may get three minutes, but trust me, we're going to get five. The longest drought I've ever seen them watch in a, in a Final Four situation was against Baylor when we went to San Antonio, and I think they went almost five minutes. It was ugly. It was ugly basketball. And and, the only, and I attribute that to them not adjusting to Brittany's height inside. They just had no answer for it. And unless you got a 6'7 or 6'8 post, post player that understands the game and understands their role and what they can cover, and teams have to adjust to you rather than you adjusting to other teams. If you got talent around you, you can win it up. But if no help, uh, there's a lot of youth, and the team is growing up together, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I don't see it. But I just don't see it. I mean, you got Texas looked like they were playing some good basketball. They have an injury to a very solid player starter. Then you have Tennessee just recently losing Harrison. With the ACL, um, so not only do you have the challenge of solid programs trying to figure out a way to defeat this team, but now they're losing Chink and Arm. As you talked about Notre Dame being in a position to do it, but they lost somebody last year, so it just seems like it's that time of the year to get that for UConn to get it done. You know, Notre Dame, Jewel Lloyd, and Manuel's Brianna Turner is younger and they're inexperienced. And they played this season, early in this season, where Brianna Turner was out with, a, I think, a shoulder injury. And you could see her absence was sorely missed at UConn's front court, just dominating Notre Dame's front court. Right. And the thing that separates UConn <clears throat> and that they don't still don't get enough credit, <clears throat> excuse me, is their defense. Mm-hmm. When they decide to go into that defensive mode and lock you down. It's, it's serious. Teams just – there are not enough good teams who can handle that defensive pressure. Out front with Mariah Jefferson, inside with Brianna Stewart, Morgan Tuck, swat the shots left and right. Teams just can't handle – you got you to have enough weapons. Basically, you have to have five players who can score because UConn is going to stop – it's going to take somebody away from you. And you have to have a team versatile enough right. to handle that. When that person, they take option one out, you got to have option two step up and deliver. When two is taken out, option two got to step up. Because Geno, they will design something that, okay, these two aren't going to score. So you got to do something with the other three. And if you can't do it, then you're going to lose. Yeah, and lose by a lot. That's amazing. And speaking of losing by a lot, guess who plays UConn on Tuesday evening? Is it the home folks? The Houston Cougars. Is it the home folks? I refuse to name it. The home folks. Tell by your eyes. The home folks. Good luck to Coach Hewitt and his squad. You know, let's predict the margin of defeat. Fifty, sixty. I don't. I don't think it'll be fifty, but I know it'll be around forty. Forty-five. Why? Why wouldn't it be fifty? And the only reason I'm saying that because they'll pull a 
He'll I don't think back. he'll pull them off. He'll pull them I, I think I think what will happen is they I don't think you kinda gonna get off to a quick start. And that's the only reason I'm saying Why not? It's in Hartford. Is it it's well it's in Connecticut, it might be in stores. I'm not sure. Yeah, that, and I, I don't know. We won't I, I don't know. I had well, it, it, it don't it doesn't matter. What slow start, even if they get out, slow start for who standards? UConn standards? Yeah. Or for the rest of the no, country standards? No, no, no. The rest of the country don't matter. They've already proved that. So the, and, the, and, the slow and, and, start might be 10 nothing for four minutes into the game. U of H ain't going to score. Because that's the problem with U of H. That makes that margin of 50 very possible. Because they can't score. Oh, that, now. If U of H scores 50 versus so, UConn, no, no. it would be a shock. Even if they would do some stuff to UConn, they can't cut into any lead or maintain any semblance of the lead not growing because they're not going to score. That's true. So I'll say 45. Okay, give me a final score. Well, you can't put 100 on them. I can see them put 90. Oh, I think that goes without saying. I can, see that, I, can, I, can, I can actually see that now. I can actually see that happen. And that's okay, so 90 to 40. Yeah. Okay, that's 50 points. Well, then, you know, it, 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 it could happen. Something, something could happen. Something could happen. Man, the way y'all have me thinking about it, they might get to that 100 mark. If they get to that 100 mark, you're talking about 60 points. Because I can't see you last year. 40 points. Last year's store, you can't beat you of 90 to 40. Well, I thought, that's what he, I here, they beat a 92 to 41. That's the game you watch. And, 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 and I think you've <laughs> That's why I said I can't see him put them And I think you've was I'm not better sure last better. year. Yeah, I'm just, they were better offensive last year than they are exactly. this year. Exactly. I, I think they're worse offensively than they are. All I can say is hope, hopefully that everybody that's. I'm going to say 55. I'm going to say 95 to 40. Okay. I'll stick with that. I'll just say 99 to 44. We'll roll with that. We'll roll with that. <laughs> Because, folks, thank good. The only good thing about this season is that UConn didn't make a trip down here. That's not a good thing. I wanted to talk to the man again like we did at Media Day. That's <laughs> oh, we're wanted. not going to get that conversation now. That's a, oh, that, no, no. We're not going to get that conversation. That, it was Jewel. That, that was like, you know, the, that was the volcano going. That's not Vesuvius. That, yeah. But that was, I mean, <laughs> that just was to different. talk to him, you know, because he has commented on, I need to get her name, but, uh, a freshman at Tulane, Coach Oriyama has touted as somebody that he would like to coach because of, and she is probably going to be freshman of year in in Conference USA. And Tulane you, and you can't play. Oh my gosh, American Athletic Conference. Excuse me, got a flashback. I'll tell you, boy, that was ooh, that's a major slip of the tongue. Tulane is a good basketball team. They're ten and four in the American. You can't beat them eighty-seven thirty-nine. On Saturday, U of eight is not Tulane. <laughs> okay, eighty-seven thirty-nine. They'll roll you up, like the fella say on the on the, on the hard court. They'll roll you up. They'll roll you so up. So I, I just good luck to Coach Huey and and his players. Hopefully, they won't be scarred for life <laughs> from uh, what's going to take place. Tuesday evening in Connecticut. Hopefully, you know the snow. They've endured the snow, and and they've had snowball fights, and I've seen that. You know, so they've had some fun about you know different things. But uh, uh, now, let me let me yeah. make a, a, a quick comment, folks. When you know there's a a coming storm approaching, is when 
some of the coaches question about the kids' mentality about playing in that conference after what they've seen up close. Go ahead. And when they, it's not that they don't want their kids and all to go to all these, you know, to the schools and stuff, but they question, are you sure, you know, you're capable of competing in that conference on a regular basis? When all you taught them over a long, over a period of time that you should compete against the best, you got to find out what you're made of. Hopefully you can withstand the, the physical part, but more so the mental more part than anything. Because it will make you stronger. The freshman I'm thinking of at Tulane that Dino was, uh, gave praise to was Tulane's Kobe Morgan. And she is she is 5'8 guard. She is legit. And she's from New Orleans. New Orleans. Yeah, that's right. You not, said it right there. Not New Orleans. New Orleans. That's right. With an N-A. N-A-W. Right. New Orleans. So if the American can get more players like Kobe Morgan, then perhaps three, four years down the line, you'll see the American be consistently have more than two teams get to the tournament. Because despite their loss to East Carolina yesterday, I think South Florida is still going to make the tournament. So you'll be, as Gino told us at media day, he expected South Florida, USF, to to reach the tournament. So on the men's side, Kentucky, see this is what folks may say, well, you know, KG. Kentucky's undefeated on the men's side too. Yes, but they but they're that, being pushed. That's right. There's no gap. Yeah. Teams feel feel okay. I got my shot. Is to play you. And they taking and it. And they and they taking it to them. And everybody's really taking to them. They taking that shot. Yeah. But the, you know what though? To be challenged like that every night in your conference play, I think that's good. Yeah. That makes for an exciting game. Yeah. It's like TSU right now. See, and they see, they getting challenged every game see, you know, that, at home and on the road. Am I, I agree wrong? with that. See, that's what I where I agree. And some folks are critical of UConn. They're not being challenged in conference. That's true. And you, you would, and some folks say, well, they're not tested. So when they go against upper tier teams, non-conference, they have problems. But they don't. They don't have problems against the other elite teams yeah. in the country. Somebody making that up if they did that. So, folks, haters gonna hate. You know, they're grasping at straws, try to find their chinks in UConn's armor. They're, they are the the epitome, the queen of the mountaintop in women's college basketball. Yes, there is parity further down, right. but there is no parity at the top. No. And folks have found that there is a gap between one and two. Well, I said earlier during the podcast, that Kentucky was going to be able to get it done? Do you all still think they're going to lose? This in conference or in tournament? I think we were talking about conference yeah. earlier. And, and, and I still, we'll get, and we'll I still, I still tournament. think that's going to happen. I still think, think they're going to lose one in conference? Yeah, I still think they're going to happen. What do you think, Chris? I'm, I'm beginning to weaken on that, but I'll stick with it and say they're going to lose. Maybe Arkansas will take them, take them out. In, I'm, I'm going to stay with that. I'm going to stay tournament. You talking about the conference tournament or the, or no, the NCAA no. tournament? NCAA tournament. I mean, no championship. Let me see. That's a good question. Will they get upset if they don't lose before? It could happen because I I think what the mindset of the fellas is totally different because they are looking at. The, Would it be the, deep in the tournament? No. Uh. Well, yeah. I take that back in the regional. In the regional. 
could be here. They could be here. They, they could get hit and they're, they're get them before they get to a final four. Right. That's early. It's not deep. No, that's lead eight is deep to me. Well, like I said, I could be here in I Houston. Guess that's stupid. That could be. That could be here in Houston. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I, I reached, think they'll be sent here for the regional. But Arkansas, they they play Arkansas, 18th ranked Arkansas, Saturday, February twenty February twenty eighth. Well, they the show right now. They're getting higher rankings, uh, television wise, yeah. ratings. Then uh, mid midweek uh, NBA basketball games, and obviously that's because they're the sight to see, and nobody has seen this happen right. since the seventies. So. But what about do the fortieth anniversary of Saturday Night Live had high ratings in the NBA All Star game? You know, I knew that was going to happen. I'm gonna be honest with you, I saw that coming because there's not the same interest with the NBA All Star game as a as as it used to be. Folks are not all that enamored. That's uh, intriguing. Intriguing statement, but I just think that it shows how sports in general have a focus group more than ever before. And those that are either into it, love it, and they hoard it, and you can make money off that framework, and then you have those that don't. So I think that is intriguing, the, the, those numbers. And also that gives you a little more the difference between uh, being on primetime TV or not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, SNL 40 had a, a 14.2 rating compared to a 5.5 rating. So, you know, 14.2 on NBC. Man, double digits, that's a lot. on TNT. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot. But even, you know, Turner PR Media put out a release that their 7.2 million viewers was a 12% increase for them from the previous season. So, so as I said... Truly matches up that you have those focus group interests that are doing it, and when they get into it and they watch it, and it grows uh, versus those that are not fascinating. And it also shows you how far apart the NFL in terms of football is just against everybody else, which is amazing when you think about all the credibility issues they have, all the uh, negative components they have, and they still find a way at least in terms of television ratings, to dominate the marketplace. In terms of, you know, comparison, rating, comparing the NFL to the other major sports, the NFL is like UConn, women's basketball, it's the, everybody else in, right. in the women's analogy. basketball. Great analogy. Because the gap between the NFL and, and the NBA, Major League, is, baseball. Major League Baseball, hockey, is just massive. It is just huge. I need to go look a little closer at the numbers for the Premier that would that be interesting to uh, to uh, learn thoughts? Have you had it? Have you I had time to, to uh, go read about or give any thoughts on FIFA giving NBC and its partners the 2026 World Cup without even giving mm-hmm. putting up a bid for ESPN? And I think I get it confused. El Mundo, I think it's Univision. They didn't. Even give the other networks a, a chance to bid on it. They just basically gave NBC, who already had 2018, 2022, and they gave them 2026. I think Thursday or Friday last week, without even. That's amazing. And, 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 and I, they, I question that. I, and a lot I of folks question that. A lot only, of people. The only reason I question that is because, it's, that is not here. You know, they hadn't offered up the the. the I'm just the, amazed. Uh, because just any general business practice, no matter. 
if you got word that ESPN wasn't going to put the money out there, uh, it's just that you don't go through the process. It's just amazing. It's just generally not good business practices. So I don't know how you really can come to some rationale of why you wouldn't do that. Obviously, and, and 20, NBC is playing 20, significant money. But there's wow. not even a the, 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 uh, that's not had, a site hasn't been named yet. See, that, 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 that's, that was my question. About so, the whole I mean, time. there's just it really business sense, common sense even. Is a huge surprise why they would do that. Yeah, just, that's totally amazing. Now, the speculation is because of the problems with the possible move of the 2022 World Cup in Qatar to oh, winter that, time, that, that. you know, May, whatever, not during the prime time, prime summer, you know, July, August, because it wouldn't be 125 degrees. Yeah. You know, I still. That they gave the NBC and his partners a little. Kickback. Kickback. Okay, we'll give you 2026 20, because we know we're going to be. We're yeah. going to probably move this to... Yeah, oh. we, we, you're going to lose a little bit so, on this side. That's, that's a scuttlebutt there. Yeah, that that's the only way I can see that they did that. Is Floyd going to fight Pacquiao? I think money or ain't packing nothing right now. Is Floyd scared of Pacquiao? Uh, yeah. I'm going to say I, that. I, I don't think he's scared of him. Something like wrong with that. Because if you had a cordial conversation between you and I, I and, and 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 all of a sudden three days later you you wants to do yakking, nah, you know about 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 uh, the question. It's difficult for me to believe that he's gonna turn that down. That no, I think he will he'll fight him and it'll get done relatively before the end of the year. Yeah, they'll, November. They'll, yeah, they'll announce everything. I think November. They won't leave that kind of money on the table. November. I ain't looking at October. I'm saying November. But this, I, I, this, this, I don't know exactly. I was hoping just, May. Yeah. No, that ain't gonna hell up. That ain't gonna happen. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. November. I, I I, I've be... been to too many of them, the the real big fights in Vegas, yeah. and they'll use the month of February, May, or November. Right. And when it's in November, everybody shows because they got everything. They got the rodeo going on. At the same time, I think it's done. I just can't see him leaving that kind of money on the table. I just think they're so close that they're just tugging at everybody. And in, in, in his mind, it's a marketing ploy, uh, but it could soon backfire if people just get to the point where they get tired. And what you hearing people say, but I think at this point, it's just lip service when they finally announce it, everybody jump on board. Oh, it ain't going to be long because I'm going to tell you, <laughs> folks, you talking about hotels going quick. Even the cheapest, even the highest price hotel on the strip is going to be gone. It's going to be gone. What do you think? I hope you're right, Doc. <laughs> I really do. I hope he just you just being found coy some. You just and, found oh, some. Oh, no, no. I, <laughs> I just hope he's playing this so long. You're talking about he's getting a 60-40 cut. That's what I'm saying. Over a $250 million dollar do possible fight. What else? I, I, I would never know. Not, not part of money's inner circle, but what else could he want from this? You know, HBO and Showtime they apparently agreed to the I think everything. He just he just wants it to be on his turn, pretty much, and that's the problem. We don't understand what that little piece uh, in terms of his term, and is is it pretty much just people groveling for it? Uh, which, in some cases, it can be man- manic. In terms of how we feel about it, but in other cases, in terms of true marketing, it's brilliant in a lot of ways. Because Floyd is the guy everybody loves, not everybody, 
but enough people either love, love or to hate. hate. And, uh, and folks want to see him get knocked out. So, as they say, he's polarizing. Or at least get knocked down to the point to where he, you know, so he's, he's polarizing. So, you're going to have just as many people watching him to support him as many boxers have. But you have just as many folks that watch him, as you said, to see him lose, get knocked out, what have you. And that's a great position to be in terms of generating money, generating interest, generating marketing, and, and that being a part of your brand and legacy. We see where the financial numbers are now. Just ridiculous. So, that's a, make the fight, Floyd. Make the fight. That's all I. That's all I ask. Because I will be watching it. Make the fight. <laughs> be a hell of a fight party. So make the fight. Yeah, yeah. I want to have another reason to go to Vegas, hang out for a couple of days. Well, you know it's. You want to talk about THC and HBCUs now, sir? Yeah, I will. And all right, now, y'all sign. Y'all sign. Y'all sign. Have some uplifting. Have some uplifting. No, there's there's a there's a major concern. Oh, we're not that. Not that. Yeah, we 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 that it, you probably understand. Yeah. Oh, yeah, trust that me. doesn't necessarily have a it's not good athletic framework. First of all, it's not good. The announcement last week that just caught everybody that is. Uh, Associated associated with HBCUs that have some semblance framework of HBCUs when the uh, subcommittee of the legislative body of the state of South Carolina voted with the four-person subcommittee panel, three votes to one, to literally shut down South Carolina State for one year. There was some framework that said it would be an actually two years. Uh, but they voted, and it's on the table, and they'll take it to the uh, entire legislative body of South Carolina, which had reverberations uh, for those that are listening for HBCUs and even educational uh, people, for that matter, at a higher educational level. Um, this were blown away about the announcement that they would even consider doing that. There have been some major struggles for South Carolina in terms of leadership, uh, the framework that they said they wanted to shut it down is because they couldn't get a straight answer in terms of auditing, uh, in terms of how much money they are actually indebted and operating with a deficit, can't pay bills. They had some financial woes, but it's $10 million, which is a lot of money, obviously, us. When you're looking at that large levels, even 10 to $17 million, it's not a huge sum of money in terms of an institution of that size. But it's more about people concerned just about the leadership. And so now you're into this political hot potato in terms of people trying to figure out whether they support this or not, where do you come out on it. And so you have people going back and forth as this has gotten just in a lot of ways out of control. So the framework obviously becomes if this shut down, there's no athletic department. So that's going to affect. Uh, MEAC scheduling, so a lot of things there. So that was difficult to get out there, but the athletic part of it obviously is a small piece of the educational component in terms of what you would see literally a state public-based HBCU being shut down. They do say that they would open it back up in a year, but uh, a lot of people really just frankly don't believe that. And then others have concerns if they're able to do it to one institution, who's next? Particularly those HBCU public institutions with smaller enrollments. 
And just historically, people say, well, you know, times pass. They've done what they're supposed to do. But where else would you hear somebody even considering shutting down an institution that educates people in terms of the marketplace? So it's a whole different framework when you look at it. Back on the court, another difficult news came out. Uh, Alabama State's oh, football, on the, on the, on the on, football frame. Yeah, on the football field, not on the court. On the book football field. Well, I was going to do court first. Okay. I was going to talk about Livingston, the women. Okay. Yeah, that literally had to forfeit 20 games. Yeah, that's from – from a, He got stuff to say, so yeah. <laughs> from about, Yeah, this is just – this is when I hate to say that I follow HBCUs in terms of having to bring negative news, and that's not what I like to do, but I'm in the business of sports, and I cover HBCUs. So this is the day in the, in the sun that we don't like to have. But Livingston um, self-reported an eligible player coming from Georgia Southern. Uh, she's released a letter uh, fighting back to some degree, but it was a compliance issue. The compliance director was fired. The athletic director was put on suspension for a year, and they had to give up essentially 20 games. They were undefeated, 22. They did just lose a game to Johnson C. Smith. But they they were they were running they were a top five program in terms of NCAA Division two rankings on the women's side, so they were playing some very good basketball. Uh, all for not now going to the tournament, so they literally would have to win the tournament. Uh, people were saying Shaw turned them in, so people were frustrated with that. Um, so that's a good one. Then we stay within HBCUs, and as you said, we go to the football side. Would want to say it's on the field, but actually it's off the field in a lot of ways. Jenkins, the coach that left Bethune Cookman, that had a magnificent run, winning three HBCU championships, uh, three of four of the last five MEAC championships. He took his football and moved over to Alabama State. Alabama State thought they had a major hire with that coup in a lot of ways. He was excited in the swag in general. Took less money. Took less money. Well, first it got out there. People thought it was actually more money. People had got that it was three hundred thousand dollars, but then it finally trickled out that it was actually less money, and people kind of questioned. And you heard these rumors that he was getting away from from Cookman. People started saying, "What was he getting away from?" Now, obviously, that's what led to the Alabama State reporter doing some investigative reporting, and uh, on on his behalf, he really dug into some. Significant information, and it was reported that uh, that he had NCA violations. Some coaches have admitted this as well as some players, and essentially he was just a bad coach in terms of uh, bullying players. To some degree, it got into the point where you just call it just downright uh, ugly behavior. Yeah. Let me let me describe one of the incidents reported. Incidents that apparently sparked part of the investigation involved a steak knife at a pregame meal. According to linebacker Radis Alcut, he provided a letter at the request of Bethune-Cookman officials as, as part of the investigation. A teammate accidentally spilled a drink and Alcut began laughing. Because Jenkins doesn't allow talking at the pregame meals, a commotion irked the head coach, Alcutt said. Quote, at this time, Brian Jenkins walked over to me and picked up a knife 
pointed it at me and Hudson, the other teammate, saying, do I have to cut your blank throats to get you to be quiet? End quote. Alcott wrote in the letter, Jenkins then stared at the two players for several seconds. Now here's a, another part of that. Alcott said he did not feel physically threatened and that Jenkins later apologized to the players, but Alcott said he did feel disrespected, so much so that he quit the team a few weeks later and decided not to return for a senior season. He already had his degree. Uh, right. And so he's moving on. And to get another side of that, there is a player that's playing in the NFL that says that he is a stern disciplinarian. He said if you followed the rules um, set course, you wouldn't have a problem with it. So there's some people that are saying that it's just players that are frustrated. But then when you add in the coaches, I think it gives some larger questions about it. And then there were some housing issues in terms of NCAA. <laughs> and some of them were ridiculous housing, not just paying for housing. But sometimes they were talking about where they had like maybe 14 to 15 players in one house, five-bedroom house, sleeping on floors and couches. So it got pretty ugly. And uh, all of this going going on, so that's kind of the negative side. But let's get to some brighter things. Uh, brighter days, on. brighter days. Texas Southern women continue to roll on, roll on. They got another win today. Um, they're fifty-four to forty-six over Jackson State, and that was minus a couple of key starters and players that generally get a lot of time. So they're rolling, playing some very good basketball. Um, but uh, with only one loss, 11-1, there's still Southern is hovering right behind them, playing some great basketball as well. The um, team that they obviously defeated um, so early in the season, so Southern is sticking right there. So they have to continue to win if they're going to make a run of it. Last week, talked about the fact that they did defeat Prairie View, which was the only loss Texas Southern had, so they got a little bit of revenge for that. So on the women's side, is Southern eligible for the Southern women's team eligible for the SWAC tournament? Yes, at this point. At this point, I'm glad you cleared that up. I'm glad you cleared that up. At this point, they are. They're not. They're not ineligible. They're not eligible for postseason play. I want to make that clear. They're not eligible for postseason play. But they can come to the tournament. So depending on how the SWAC presidents decide to deal with. This ineligible issue at this point, I shouldn't say that they're not eligible to come to the tournament. That's a decision that I have don't Don, I just has been made. They have released a nine team schedule, so I will say this. So at this point, they're believing that they are going to be in the tournament because they released a nine, and I know the team on both the men's and women's side that is not eligible to go is Arkansas Pine Bluff because they actually got mediated by. NCA in terms of APR issues, and because last year the SWAC had everybody come in the tournament, the NCA is taking a further step opposed to what they normally do in just banning you from postseason play. They put a stipulation on Arkansas Pine Bluff that part of their punishment was not to participate in conference championship play. Thank you. So the baseball team, the basketball team, and next year the football team will not be eligible for uh, conference championship games. The Southern is still on this indefinite, it seems like, 
NCAA APR uh, invalid data. So they have a sanction in not being able to play in postseason tournament. But because they haven't gone back to the NCAA for the final type of sanction that you see with Pablo, at this point they're still eligible to play in the tournament. I know that's a lot. Seems like a lot of rambling, but in a lot of ways it may be confusing. But based on NCA, to sum it up, based on NCA current policy that's going on, Southern is eligible to go to the SWAC tournament in basketball at this point. And from the early tournament brackets, they have nine teams, so they do see them going in. So unless Southern goes to the NCA prior to the basketball tournament at the end of the season they're still eligible but even if they win it they're not eligible to go to the NCAA tournament I do know that that's a bad look yeah that's a bad look if you allow a team to win your conference tournament but then NCAA they can't go to the NCAA that's a bad look yeah no longer it's definitely a bad look we talked about it last year it didn't make any sense but on the other side again throughout we don't know what Houston is talking about from the tournament side from the city and their requirements. So that's another issue. So when you negotiate these contracts, you really need to know what you're doing because you can hurt yourself on one side uh, if you sign the wrong contract and then hurt yourself on the other side. And obviously it's a bad look because the NCAA is changing the way they operate. you just seen the example what they did with Pine Bluff. So whenever Southern does come back and able to provide some type of Paperwork? Paperwork, for lack of a better word. It's really recertifying all the athletes. And for whatever reason, they just, as an athletic directorship, they just don't see that framework. And they've tried to do, in their mind, what they've done. And they said they're trying to go actually get in front of somebody else to resubmit their paperwork. Who did somebody else? You can't get an answer to that either. So it's quite frustrating and ridiculous to continue to do this. But you're right. It's just not a good look. And when the NCAA comes in front of them, dump, they're going to dump it on them because they've been playing in postseason for the second year in a row in terms of conference-wise. So they're just going to come back and say, look, you can't do it either. So if they don't do it themselves, yeah, because the just you didn't set a say, all right, we're going to do it. And that's what they did with Pine Bluff. So it's going to get worse, in my opinion, before it gets better. And we'll see what APR is doing this. But, again, on the bright side, you had an institution like Texas Southern, Prairie View, getting it right, both for men's and women's. Uh, Texas Southern had a tough loss to Prairie View last week. They got a break because on Monday, Southern lost to Jackson State and Alabama State. This Saturday, lost to Al- their rival, Alabama A&M. So they're still in the hunt at the top. Um, if they win tonight, they'll be tied with Alabama State in terms of two losses in the loss column. Prairie View is picking up steam. They've won. Uh, and just dominated. They won Saturday, beating Jackson State. Very solid win there. Came back, dominated Grambling State, winning that game 95-44. So Grambling State uh, remains winless in conference. Good news, all of FAMU. FAMU got off the stride. They got a victory. They beat North Carolina A&T at home. Yep. Got off win the number one. Yeah, win, win number one. Number one. They were winless for the season. Got that. Well, they played North Carolina Central win. tonight. Did you, do you think they're holding? No, no, they're, they're gonna get beat down in that game. In fact, I can give you an update here and I tell you quickly that they already have gotten a beat down. If I'm not mistaken, they were losing by uh, 15 points early in the game. So no, it's not gonna be two in a row. Yeah, 61 
to 37 is an update in terms of that score. So Central, and the reason you bring that up, Central is undefeated in conference play at 11-0, 19-6, playing some very good basketball. Looks like they're getting a 15C, 14C right now at this time with some of the early indications if they can run through the tournament. So be interesting. So it looks like they'll go to 12 and 0. Uh, Norfolk State was behind them. They had already beat Norfolk State, but Norfolk State suffered another loss. So it looks at this point, Central would literally have to fall up, fall off the wagon at the end of the season not to get it done. So the race to look for not is sure in the basically what you're saying. The rest Southern. of the season. and it looks like both on the men's and women's side that that last weekend in the SWAC where Southern comes to Texas Southern, that it'll be very interesting in H and P Arena. So get your tickets, local fans, if you want to see uh, some good basketball. Some good basketball. Competitive. Uh, yeah, it's going to be competitive. <laughs> it's going to be competitive. Yeah, relative speaking, this is good basketball. But it, coaching-wise, I think you have two oh, permanent yeah. coaches yeah. with, with those why I say that. Yeah. So the athletes may not be where you want. But in terms of tactician, yeah. X and O's, getting yeah. the players to play above their head, yeah. getting them to do – uh, really well. First matchup was was a hell of a game. So exactly. Well, and, and but, I think you're gonna see this come down because more than likely, that's gonna be the championship. Alabama and, and, State says they have something to say about that, and they might be a two three way tie. Right. But in some manner, I think basically at the end of the season, you're gonna see it. Well, weather has postponed. I presume because I just checked the weather channel and they, they've got bad weather on that end. But the Alcorn State. And Pine Bluff game is at least on the women's side has been uh, postponed until tomorrow, until Tuesday. Yeah. Okay. I think that's right. That's the update. According to Twitter, I think yes. According to SWAC uh, Twitter account. So it'll, it'll be interesting. You know that one day, one day's rest can help mentally. Body heal. Oh yeah. Uh, you know definitely. This, if they don't get too freaked out about the game being canceled, sometimes they can play. Uh, tricks on the students' minds, but as a professor, that's interesting. That's another day of class, you miss. But they didn't have class here at Texas Southern because President's Day they celebrated, but okay. no prayer view events, so some places are still having school. Uh, Wildcat, has James Harden become your MVP yet? Not yet. He's playing some very good basketball. He sure is. Good job in a tough, yeah. tough. So right. who's, who's, we're going to try this again. Who's your MVP then? Now, we gave you a week. Okay. You're going to shut the man down again. You got to have MVP this week. I'm going to roll with Westbrook. Westbrook missed too many games. They're not even in the playoffs, Wildcat. You know what? I like I think, it. I don't. Uh, to me, game, you have definitely to, deserve you, the MVP. I want you to back it up. Back it up. You know, you asking me to to accept somebody that that's that's in the playoffs. Why should I? I'm asking you to back it up. My guy that I like right now that's rolling. I mean, is, is he, Western, he Western. hasn't had he hasn't had a better season than Anthony Davis. You're gonna do that then? Uh, right now, you give it to Anthony Davis? No, not yet. <laughs> not yet. You asked me. You asked yeah. me right now, as of today, and I said not yet. All right. You heard the listeners, you, and your Twitter account is what, so they can it can comment on you. J on, on L Woodley one. Hit him up too, listeners. Hit him up. Hit him up on Twitter. 
Jay, and, to, and I uh, know they listening. Back up his his. Uh, and I know they checking bit. it out. For sure. Especially you two guys. Wow. You know who you are. But say your say your Twitter account again, sir. J L Woodley One. And who are you? I am Jerry Lee Woodley Jr. Fifth Ward Wildcat. And the College Sports Report. You can find my interviews, my video interviews on uh, Blogspot, AKSV, the CSR, the College Sports Report, uh, and blog, uh, on Blogger, and YouTube. Uh, my, uh, I have a SoundCloud it is, that's listed, AKSV, the CSR, JL Woodley 1. I have a uh, uh, Facebook. You can find me at Jerry L. Woodley Jr. And hit him up on Twitter. Ask him about his MVP pick. Please do. Ask him about that. Please do. You know, and whoever you are. And he will give you an answer. I will give you an answer. Hopefully better than what he's given us so far on this podcast. You, 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 you asked me who I, who I looked at, who I see as today, if I had to hand out a trophy tomorrow morning. That's what you're asking me. You're Correct. not asking me at the end of the season. Correct. You're asking me right tomorrow And morning. I still pick James Harden over Russell Westbrook. Yeah. No, bro. I'd pick Anthony Davis over Russell Westbrook. I'd pick Steph Curry over, over Russell Westbrook. Yeah. But that's why you are the fifth world Wildcat, and we respect your opinion, sir. LeBron James. And you know, you, we're not over counting Westbrook. the All-Star game in, in the vote now. Oh, no, yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's good. And I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review. I am on Twitter at T-H-E-H-R Review. Once again, T-H-E-H-R Review, www.HoustonRoundBallReview.com. Also, www.THEHRR.com, TheHRR.com. Gentlemen, I want to touch on the passing of two coaching legends. Doing this podcast. We can, we can do that. Uh, first, Dean Smith. And then second, Jerry. Talk to Shark Tarkanian. Yes. Which do you want to talk about? Either one. I've had opportunity to conversation with both. With the mic, without. Share your thoughts, sir. Uh, both gentlemen, and I say that literally. I don't care what nobody says about talk. Knowing him personally is totally different than somebody with a mic. And somebody just making a comment. Online that don't know the guy. He's a different type of gentleman. And correct me if I'm wrong, sir. He coached yeah. the greatest Houston area high school player in my lifetime. Ever. In my lifetime. By the name of Eddie Owens. Classmate. Wheatless, 1973. That's one throw that out there for listeners who don't know. And continue, literally. Sir. Continue. Continue. I'm not going to get all into it. About the transformation, but college basketball speeded up after that first unit that UNLV went to the Final Four with. They went from walk it up, work the clock, four corners, you know, get some things done, run your offense, and force the defense into a situation that they are not comfortable with. Talk was running the runners was running the ball up, not, a, not not even needing a clock. 
10, 15 seconds at the longest. And that's just to get the ball in, get it up court, and somebody get a shot off. And folks, between Eddie and Reggie Theus, a couple other guys that all they want on the squad, it wasn't about sit around and watch the paint dry. They was putting it up. 90, 110, 120 points on average. Didn't have enough to finish, but that group got to the final four with that speed and things changed. Recruiting changed. And folks realized NC, uh, the uh, NC2A needed a shot clock. Folks were tired of watching teams standing around watching the paint dry. I make that reference because the next gentleman I I'm talking about is Dean Smith. But the one thing I remember about Tark was he would talk to, and I'm, I'm going to move on to, to Coach Smith. He would talk to you literally and be upfront about what was going on, you know, with the program and ask questions about pretty much any and everything as far as infractions, why, you know, schools were, everybody was doing the same thing, but he was the only one being targeted. He always questioned that. On a regular basis, he just—he never let that go. But he was—he 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 was found to be within the rules at that time. But it was always somebody chipping, and they were chipping hammer, hitting the wall, trying to break the bricks down. He got some things done. The one thing that I've admired over a lifetime, over his lifetime, was what he did for Chris Heron. He saved that kid. And any time an adult can save a kid, I don't care if it's but just one. That's a well-done job. With Coach Smith, I never forget the first time I met him. I didn't even see him walking up. This was back when things were really wild open. And I can say this now because this happened during the summer. The man got up out of his seat at the end of the, the uh, uh, baseline. And walked over while I'm up, screaming and hollering on the sideline and put his arm around me. He scared me to death. I, I, I jumped out. I jumped. Caught my breath and realized who it was. He said, come here. He said, you need to calm down a little bit. You, you're kind of rattling the guy. You know, we don't mind, you know, he's jumping up because you're getting, you're getting reaction out of him. But you need to calm down just a little bit. He said, do you know any of them guys out there on the floor? He said, yeah. I told him, yeah. He said, uh. How many of you know? I said four. He said, tell you what you do. Call a timeout, sit them down, and tell them they're going back out on the floor. He said, because they'll win the game for you. He said, because you're keeping the game close. They're underage. They're not sure what they're doing. He said, you're getting your point across. But you need to calm down. You need to sit down. And <laughs> I was like, yes, sir. I was, the whole time I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And he still got his arm around me. He holding on to me like, <laughs> just calm down. It's going to be okay. He said, because them guys that you know, they know you, they trust you. He said, and that's how you want a game. Sure enough, he said, he set me down. <laughs> he said, because your heart jumping out your skin, your skin right now, because you're scared. You don't know who you're talking to. I said, yes, sir, I know who I'm talking to. You didn't coach from TV. <laughs> he said, just, slow, just calm down. He set me down. He walked away. He said, you all right? And the kids had this look on their face. This is how wild, this is how open it used to be back when I was coaching during, on, during the summer circuit. He went and sat down. I called a timeout. I called a timeout from sitting down. I was afraid to get back up. I said, we had about at least 13 minutes to go in the second, second half. 
I was afraid to get up until the game was over with. And I I would never forget this game. We won it. We won it just because of that one factor. I would never forget that as long as I live. The kids looked at me with this look like, so coach, I said, hey, one, two, three, four, y'all sit. Y'all going back out there and y'all going to finish this game. I said, all I need from the rest of y'all is just keep the game close. They kept the game within five points until about the four-minute mark. Put the mother, the mother four kids back out on the floor. We won going away by 14. And I would to this to this day I am forever reminded and grateful of that. And other than that, when I got that that text message and that Twitter, I had that, I wanted to go on online, but I just couldn't because it was like too much that I wanted to say, but I was a small and I and I said you know what I'm gonna let this I can't write what in the, in the, just a short amount of words and all what. Mm-hmm. That one conversation has meant to me the rest of my life. Sometimes it calls for that to be erratic, but a lot of times it's calm down, be patient, it'll work itself out. And I carry that with me, especially when when I'm out watching games, when I'm refereeing, and when I'm when I'm coaching. That that has stayed with me, and I won more than I lost. One summer I went undefeated. I was so happy. And I sat down and just, just let them play. Just let them play. But I know one thing. Every person that I've talked to that has been under his tutelage, he was never a hollerer, and he was just like Coach Carr. Christian man, and he just didn't have to. And we've all done it on the sidelines at some point or another. We've let that go. And you're saying Coach Smith didn't use profanity. He didn't use profanity. He would give you a look now. And the only other person that reminded me of a look was the person we sat behind the bench for doing a final for Coach Summit. They came off the floor and were afraid. Doc, I've never seen a bunch of girls scared to, to come to the sideline. She was standing there waiting on <laughs> And they got to the – they hadn't looked up. And when they looked up, they was too close. And it was almost – she gave that look like, you better come here. Don't let me have to reach out. But yeah, in a lot of ways, when I think uh, Coach Smith, Coach Carcani, um, it's intriguing to me when you look at a lot of their frameworks in terms of what they did, of how similar they, they were. But for most people, they would see them as polar opposites in many facets. Right. But obviously, both of them were fighters. One fought in regards to what was going on from a civil right standpoint right. in that part of society. The other one fought the NCA, as you talked about, yeah. which at that time was unheard of. True. Uh, people may have questioned whether he should have fought. Uh, but and at the end of the day... A lot of folks didn't want him to either. Right, because people were that intimidated by the NCA, and they just didn't think you fought really authority at the time, no matter if you thought authority was right or wrong. Similar, as I said, with Dean Smith in terms of that. A lot of people may not necessarily like the framework was going on in the South and as he played out, and you've seen it with the North, Midwest, where they may have had African-American athletes, but they would literally sit down a player uh, to play a game against a team in the South where the South said they weren't going to play. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people may not necessarily said they didn't agree with the rules, but oftentimes they allowed that to fester. And neither one of those coaches would do that. 
oddly enough, both of those coaches won championships with celebrated teams. True. But also, both of them lost championships that a lot of people thought they should have won. True. Uh, in, the, in that framework. So it, it's very fascinating to me when you really kind of look uh, of who they are in terms of individuals that most people would quickly try to say that they're really too different. But when you take a lot of the shining off, off that framework, you actually say in a lot of ways they were uh, similar. Both of them were innovators that you talked about in terms of the style of game, right. framework of the game. Although I, I'd have to, I'd be remiss if I didn't say part of that was a framework of games that we've seen played at HBCUs with and and that's Tom why he did the framework, which was a two corner. And, and Coach Smith always acknowledged he got the four corners from Tom McClendon. Yeah, yep. yeah. always acknowledged that. Yeah, and he acknowledged it a lot later in terms of that, but he didn't always say it publicly. So some HBCU coaches were concerned about that, but I think when you look at what he did overall. Good it was that, for the good of the game. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, people really thought he was a good person, and a lot of that may that had to do more with the time in terms of more uh, than who he was as a person not to give credit. So I think that's important to make sure that you put that entire framework out there. Uh, also, I just think it's intriguing when you look at North Carolina, just the hotbed in terms of what it is in terms of basketball tournament, and he helped create part of that mecca. Uh, in the state of North Carolina, as opposed to some other places in Kentucky, Indiana, and but um, Tark was obviously the new framework, allowing you know that you could create a, be- a basketball mecca in a place that wasn't necessarily known for basketball. True. So he was able to do that. So I think that was interesting. Both of them saved uh, young people's lives in different ways. So they get a lot of credit to me, for me in that, and and, and both of them. Um, were brilliant in terms of what they were able to do as tacticians. Although oftentimes people didn't think they were very uh, good coaches in terms of some tacticians. Oftentimes people thought their talent did more to winning than they did. So oftentimes they weren't given the credit of what they could do on the court. I think it's changed a little bit for Dean Smith over a period of time, particularly after he got that championship. I don't think it ever changed for Tarkanian in terms of getting some of the accolades of being coaches. And I don't think you can win at that level for that period of time not to be good at your not only obviously recruiting, which I think is just as important as a game, but also in terms of your X's and O's. So that's kind of the framework that I see, the lens that I see both of those people for. I was fans of their teams at different points in time. I thought that was interesting as well. My heart broke when UNLV lost Duke. As they were going for an undefeated season that year. Yes. And I was more fascinated with that standpoint. Then, obviously, you had Johnson, a Texas kid. So, that fascinated me in a lot of ways. You know, uh, I got two last things to say on both of those gentlemen. One, uh, Coach Smith's dad, who he talks about, who he talked about often. Uh, he mentioned in his books. He came up with in a situation, and uh, he watched his dad coach the first integrated high school state championship in the state of Kansas. So that mindset is what set him apart oh, from, no from, from when he got a job no, and no was in a position, really got into a position to you, to make change. And he did that even as a high school student. He pushed for the integrated uh, school system, in a, in a, which was odd to me when you start reading it, 
the history, and that's how you really sometimes we don't do justice, is the fact that he was actually at a school um, that had always been desegregated. Right. I don't like to necessarily integrate it because I think it's used inappropriate in many ways. Integrated means people or information uh, goes both ways. Obviously, this is a one-way transfer, which is more in terms of assimilation if you want to properly use the, the, the terms for it. But even if we look at it from a platform of desegregation, the school that he went to was always desegregated in terms of students going to class together. Um, but historically, football-wise, they played on the same team. Uh, this, will, in a lot of ways, will be a history lesson for some people. But in basketball, they weren't. And at that time, basketball was played in the winter months, uh, coming out of the, uh, the winter months into the spring, played in the gyms. And as it was building momentum in terms of sport, most people were in the football and baseball, uh, track and field to some degree in terms of that time, even some boxing and swimming, uh, if you look at what were popular. But team sports, baseball, and football. As basketball laid roots, part of basketball, and you hear the term cages because they played in cages and things like that early on, is that they would have these dances uh, after the game. Well, one of the reasons that you didn't see these players of uh, African-American descent, European descent, play on the same team as you've seen in other sports is they knew there would be dances afterwards. And people are not comfortable with this is the fact that they didn't want um, the homogenation of mixing, for lack of term to use, in terms of people of color, in terms of different genders. They didn't want the men and women mixing uh, in terms of that. So they were comfortable in football, but in basketball they weren't. So you literally had a basketball team that was supported at the high school. Uh, players from the high school played, and they would go play other segregated high schools. And they were part of the same high school. And he pushed for that team to be desegregated and play together. Uh, it happened. Uh, he was He left and came back and found out after he left the college, Kansas, that that was the case that the team did move that. But he was seeking championships and thought it was the right thing to do. And a lot of that, as you said, happens, has to do with uh, how he's brought up in terms of his family. And you've seen he lived to that issue. And it wasn't just in terms of uh, racial things. He did it in terms of wars uh, that he didn't think were appropriate. He did it also in terms of the death penalty. So it was just an overall framework, political. What's interesting, I'm not sure if the media in general, obviously we're part of that now, and just society, uh, the way we segregate uh, people in terms of the political framework, I'm not sure a coach could really do that these days and keep his job. Okay, yeah, say that. Yeah, because yeah. you really got to challenge not only the system, you got to challenge the administration on campus, on site. Well, I see that it all is part of the system. Okay. And so you're right. So not only are you going to attack or go after or, or confront society, societal issues that you may see that are not appropriate, but at the same time, now you have to deal with that internally from your own organization in terms of how they feel with it. And a lot of people are just more uh, would like to refrain from any type of conversations that could be viewed as controversial or worse yet, negative. 
So I'm not sure a coach could do that in terms of keeping his job. And that's the big picture, obviously. And the fact that at that time, you were doing the job because you loved to do it. And you could go somewhere else. But I think the money is so big now. Where else are you going to get that type of job where you can make that kind of money? So you're more apt to say, well, I'll be quiet because this is good money. Versus being not only maybe it was your framework, but the same thing is, okay, so you get fired from coaching. You may not necessarily do what you love to do, but you could literally probably go do something else and make more money anyway. That's true. Because those are, as we know right now, that's good money out there, coaching. Real quick. Who do you who do you agree with, Charles Barkley or Daryl Morey? Yeah, Doc, I was going to ask you about that. You know, to, that, that's on your realm. I, I think <laughs> it's hard to say that because a lot of things uh, lately, uh, Charles Barkley and the way he communicates them. Sometimes he says some things that make some sense, but the way he uh, uses certain terminology frustrates me uh, with Barkley. And then Mur- Murray, in terms of a uh, I think sometimes he gets too far into the numbers. I think he used numbers as a framework to make decisions. As a number guy, I love the fact that he used numbers to make decisions. Uh, but that can't be the sole reason that you're making decisions. So you're going to hate this answer, but I'm kind of split between the two. No, no. No, but you understand what they're doing because, like you said, you're a numbers person. You know, that's that's what you do and that's what you, you relate to. Yeah. And I and think but, Charles Barkley says a lot of things, even though to his heart he's true to a lot of them, he says in a word that are very crass, and he does it purposely because he wants the attention, and it gets rated. So he's, I think in a, in in the near future, you're gonna find himself to some degree getting himself in trouble because he's gonna overstep the line because he's becoming more comfortable about saying things that just kind of yeah. get attention. I mean, Charles, you know, called guys who like analytics idiots, and the, who didn't get girls in high school, you know, stuff like that. I mean, that's uncalled for. Yeah. You know, then but Daryl call somebody an idiot. To hey, Daryl, but Daryl. Bounce back calling Charles a dunce. You know, I mean, both and, of y'all and, being. And that means you get petty and all and wrong petty. Exactly. You know, as a, and, and as a professor, professional, I just don't like that way that you do. And I always look at it like this because I see it on the bus and all in a, on, a, on a, re- a weekly basis. Somebody makes a snide comment about those kids going to Kip, uh, Kip Academy. I say, I'm going to say something to you. I said, don't ever forget this. You can get mad, jump on them, or uh, bully them or whatever. But at the end of the day, those kids made a decision that they wasn't going to sit around on their butt and, uh, down the road. They were, And in the back of their mind, trust me, I said, because I was one of them, I'm going to make you work for me. I'm going to be doing the hiring. You're going to be the employee. I intend to be the person in charge. That's what I aspire to be. I don't aspire to be where I am right now over a lifetime. I intend to get out of that. That's how I look at it. And, Doug, most people, they talk about it, but they don't do anything about it. But I will lean more toward Charles. That's not how he said some of the things. But analytics are a tool. They are not the sole reason it shouldn't be the sole reason why you do anything. You know, and some of the guys in analytics look down on those who don't use analytics, like they're superior and that their way is right. And anyone who doesn't use analytics is 
is wrong, you know, and, and you know, that kind of thinking I disagree with as well. You got to be able to listen. You got to be able to listen. Numbers are important. Studying the numbers. But we can use numbers any way we want to to tell our story. We can spin numbers to tell our story to benefit us or to, to make our case. So, you know, depending on what you want to do, you can spin it how you want to spin it. But you also need talent. Period. Agree. Agree. Talent. Agree. The numbers, like like the plus minus number. A player could be on the floor with his teammates and do nothing while he or she's on the floor. The rest of the teammates go on a run. That person does nothing. Zero throughout the, his time on the floor. Plus minus maybe plus ten. Did absolutely nothing. Don't tell me that player had a great game because his plus minus was a plus ten. When that player did, got no rebounds, no points. Are you saying that actually happened this season? Oh, it happens all the time. You can look at plus minus a lot and see it, and that person did nothing. I'm missing. Well, he had a plus. Yeah, he had a plus fifteen for the game. He didn't do jack for the game. He or she didn't do anything for the game. And the stat a few years ago comes up: free throw defense. What in the hell? It's free throw defense. That's a rebound. That's a rebound. You know, I heard that's, some some stat me. people tell me, well, you know, our free throw defense tonight was great. You're what? You boxed out. You defended the free throw? <laughs> you boxed out and got a rebound? So you the reason why the person missed the free throw? See, stats like that, you know, take stuff too far. I hate to laugh. But that, so that's, that's that, where you, extreme, you know, let's be when real. You, when you start using numbers like that, that's off the deep. You know, you, yeah, you don't see, want you, you got too far off that you're jumping off the cliff now. So, but that that happens, and I'm just, <laughs> you know, things that things that those are extreme examples. But you got to have talent. You got to have players who are willing to work, willing willing to work as a team and improve, work on their weaknesses, strengthen their strengths, and play team chemistry. So, I'm not sure how much analytics will tell you all those things will tell you how the chemistry is going to work. Because quite as it's kept, I heard John Barry say the day after Charles Barkley went on his rant, and JB said the exact same thing Charles said. He did not agree with analytics. He, he talked about you got to have talent. you got to play work together. As, as analytics can't tell you who's going to work well together, who's going to do this, who's going to work well together from the beginning of the game, who's going to play well at crunch time. You know, all these other kind of things. Yeah. But you didn't hear about that. Because John Barry is not Charles Barkley, you know. That's true. So, that's true. But it was Sid, and both of them got a degree. Both of them went to college, and both of them got a degree. Now, it, <laughs> I silence. Wait a minute, I'm getting cricket. I'm getting cricket. Okay, I'm, let me. Anyhow, oh, Charles Barkley finished. Anyhow, we, I'm getting cricket. Well, the Rockets should the Rockets acquire Goran Dragic? <laughs> oh. I, tonight you brought it up. Will they make a situation? Uh, I'm asking you, will or should the Rockets, uh, right now, before the trading deadline on Thursday, will they acquire no, that's when it is. Goran Dragic? He better get working fast. Seriously. I mean, the, the Suns are trying to, to uh, I think they will. I sign think Goran will. Dragic. So you think the Rockets are going to? I don't think nobody wants to help them. To I don't think somebody wants to help them. Give them some credit. Because normally, he, when he makes those deals, this late. Phoenix wants a first-round draft pick. At, at, Not gonna happen. At least in the in the deal. But if Not I'm Phoenix, 
this is if I'm Phoenix, I want the first round pick and what Moda Eunice. You out your mind. Well, if you want going Dragic, I'm not gonna give you scrap for him. And if, well, it ain't my fault. Dwight Howard is hurt. That that's true. So now, <laughs> so, it, it, now it's plan two, which is what he normally does, is get three teams involved. It it and I'm not, and right now I don't have a clue who the third team is gonna be. Philly. For it, what? Because that's where his man is, Mister Hinky. What? Come on. Wildcat, any deal, three-team deal. Sam Hickey used to be assistant GM with the Rockets. Work with Daryl. Any of these ludicrous-sounding trades that you may hear <laughs> involving three teams, you know, the six are dumping salaries and freeing all this and going with a youth movement. So if you hear between now and Thursday a three-team deal, I promise you Philadelphia going to be involved in the trade. I owe you a McDonald's rep if that get done. But I don't think it's going to happen. I believe... Phoenix is going to try to trade Isaiah Thomas and keep going Dragic. That's just me, and that's where it came out earlier. And the only reason I'm just the only reason I agree with that is because when teams start looking for situations now, this late uh, the, right the trading deadline, they want to know how bad you want to get further along in the, in the playoff, and they looking at you hustling some way somehow. That's when I don't see that nobody wants to really help the Rockets. Move move along. I just don't. I think somebody enough teams will start to get selfish at the last minute and says, "No, I don't think so." We'll see. We'll see. I mean, Maury has, and there are a few NBA people who believe Maury needs to be taken out of peg because Maury comes across as an ego egotist. But there are not enough of them to keep him from making deals. So we'll see if they are able to make a splash. He may do some minor deals, but you know, without Dwight, it's really hard for them to trade their top, their big people. You're not going to trade Terrence Jones. You'd be kind of foolish to trade Terrence Jones. There's another team. He's coming off an injury, missed most most of the season. Mm-hmm. But strange things have happened. Teams do stupid things. So I don't think don't take, you know one well, or two teams. That, that's true. Deal. We're going to wrap it up real quick. How can folks find you, Wildcat, on oh, the internet? Oh, you can find me. And don't forget, Twitter handle is JL Woodley one Yeah. Hit him up on Twitter about his MVP <laughs> person, people. You know, you asked me, you know, about putting somebody on a, a profile on somebody tomorrow. I told you no. Right now, no. Okay. Uh, Doc, ahead. who are you? How can folks uh, find Dr. you, sir? Kenyatta-Gaville, sports professor, Texas Southern University. Coordinator of Sports Management Program. You can follow me on social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. You can also listen to me live on the radio at 14, KCOH 1230. KCOH 1230. <laughs> Almost. Don't, don't, don't. Doc, we, we, all three of us in this table have made that mistake. radio.com for those that want to listen to it. There is an app, KCH Radio 1230, uh, and, or you can just um, listen to it live. And I am K E G. Are you finished it? No, I was just going to give an email address. Go ahead. Go ahead. KCaville at com for those that want to email me. 
And I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review. Our podcasts are available on SoundCloud as well as iTunes. You can also uh, hit us up on our Facebook page, KG, the Fifth Floor Wildcat, and Doc. We're on Facebook. Hit us up on SoundCloud as well. Look for my name. But you can also search Chris Gardner or as KG, Fifth Floor Wildcat, and Doc on SoundCloud as well as on iTunes. I am on Twitter at T-H-E-H-R Review. The website, HoustonRoundBarReview.com. Also, Houston Round Bar Review on the YouTube channel, as well as Houston Round Bar Review on Instagram. Getting people to start follow me on Instagram, despite the fact that I'm not on there a lot, except when I'm at Rocket Games, because U of H basketball is a little bit down this year, so not much to talk about. Post on Instagram <laughs> in a positive light, just keeping it real. In future podcasts, we're going to talk baseball, college baseball. Uh, speaking of. Talk about U of H and Rice uh, baseball. That both teams are doing, are expected to do well this season. Both yes. teams are ranked high. Cougs is high as number three. Number three right now. Right now as of today. They swept uh, Minnesota this weekend. Yes. And Rice and like Longhorns a, went two and two, two in and their two. series. Matter of fact, uh, U of H plays TSU, uh, TSU tomorrow. And HBU plays Rice tomorrow. Um, come out and support the local talent. Do Folks, that, and the teams have an abundance of players that look like me. Which teams? All of these teams. We talking about starters. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, I have to go out. Another reason for you to buy tickets. Yeah, I'm just saying. And and, and we are and we I, are I, going to talk I'm about. Gonna, I'm gonna have some fun. We are going to talk about uh, U of A softball. Because I need you to find out what's going on with UA softball because things are not like they used to be. Pitching. I, 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 I figured that I pitching answer, and based I on a, that question, a I saw box score I saw two games recently. It's like defense well, with errors was a problem too. So uh, They can get some hits, but they can't hold anybody off base. Um, and it's, it's in pitching right now. Um, it's got to be a correction. Don't know how you get that done because in softball, because that's a natural arm motion, Pitching is what keeps you relevant. You gotta get, you gotta have ace pitches in softball. And period, period. If you want to be elite, you gotta have ace pitching in softball. Yeah. And usually that person can go on a double hitter with no problem yeah. on a weekend. Uh, one thing I saw with Texas this this passing on them on the on the baseball side, August got his Friday and his Sunday guy. That was the two games that they won. And the Saturday double hitter, that's when they looked like it was a hitter's part. It wasn't about defense. It was about the pitchers couldn't bullpen, couldn't get things done in, uh, in either game. So, Wildcat, you're saying that Coach Hollis needs to get another Angel Shamblin on the mound. Got to find somebody. Because she, she was the real deal when she was on the hill. Ain't no doubt about that. A little patch right there can be a hill. In softball, but you get what I'm coming from. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah. You get ahead in the circle. and There we go. In the circle. Thank yeah. you. You know, I, don't, don't, don't don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. That's why I'm here. That's right. That's exactly. why I'm that's, here. That's why that's you're why here. I'm that's here. why I'm here. We have a diverse that's why I'm here. trio here. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your insight, your knowledge. Wildcat, thank you for your your stories about Coach Smith and Tart. Definitely. Great to hear that. Listeners, we hope you Enjoy this podcast. Tell your friends about the podcast. We talked about a lot of different things on this podcast. Uh, UConn women, Money Mayweather, Tarp, Dean Smith, some Rockets, NBA versus Saturday Night Live, all kinds of stuff in the KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. Thank you as always. 
Listen to it on iTunes and SoundCloud. I'm going to wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.